Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. So, I invite you to get your Bibles out to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Um, we're going to look here, just a, a, a brief section. This is not, there are so many places we could have dug into for this last one. I mean, all of 2021 and 22 of Revelation are just incredible when it comes to the final picture, the final consummation of the age. Uh, they're, they're all incredible to look at. And so, uh, but what we're going to choose, because we're only spending four weeks uh, getting through Revelation, we're going to look here at chapter 19, verses 6 through uh, 10. So I invite you to follow along with me in your copy of God's Word, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So this morning as we're in our last Sunday of Advent, right, we've been here now for four weeks uh, next Sunday is Christmas Day. It will no longer be Advent. It will be Christmas. Advent is this season of intentional, deliberate expectation, longing for Christmas Day, right? In the Christmas Day, we celebrate wholeheartedly the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, incarnated. He became flesh. He put flesh Upon he, he took flesh upon himself. He added to his divinity, humanity, that he might then live the righteous life that humanity should have lived but failed to do. That he might then take upon himself as their substitute, their sin, his people's sins, so that every one of us in this room this morning, every person from uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world, every, from every nation, tribe, and tongue, would be able to hear this gospel, believe in Jesus, and be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, made a part of His family. 
This, this is where uh, Christmas, this is what we celebrate on Christmas Day, right? And that the, the, the coming of the second member of the Trinity into this earth. Advent is this intentional season of longing for that day to come, right? It is not meant to be five weeks of just Christmas. Uh, it, is, it is an intentional, it's the, um, it's the presence sitting under the tree. And you know they're there and you can't wait for them but it's not time to open them yet. You're aware that they're there. You believe that they are. You can see them. You know it's real, but it's just not yet. And so it's building, building anticipation for the day that they, the fullness of what's under the tree, to continue with that illustration, will become a reality. And Advent is this season of expectation, but it isn't just, right, this expectation of the incarnation because Christ has come. He has put on flesh. He has accomplished. He, when, he, when he hangs there on the cross, the words that he speaks to tell us die, it is finished. He has completed his work, his saving work. And yet, and he ascends to heaven and, he, and the angels say to those standing watching him that just as he went into heaven, he will return. There is a yet coming return of our Savior where he will consummate, he will fulfill, he will restore all things at the end of the age, on the great day of the Lord. And so just as we have this anticipation for the coming of the incarnation, we now live a life of Advent. Expectation, longing, a desire for the return of this king who has saved his people. So, We've been in the book of Revelation for Advent, which is kind of a weird place to go. And honestly, we haven't, you know, not only have we not scratched the surface of Revelation, we've barely dusted the, the top of the shelf. Like there's, there's so much that we could dig into and to look at. And Lord willing, one day we might, as Missio, get to have the fun of working through the book of Revelation. That would be a good time. But we are just basically just skittering across the top of these big picture ideas and, and trying to remove some level of confusion and distaste for a book like the book of Revelation. Because not only is it a book that corresponds with Advent, it, it does so because Revelation is a book of hopeful expectation. It is a book of longing for a final joy. Like the joy is, and, and, and perseverance based upon a future joy is a theme of the book of Revelation. It is not just a Tolkien novel of just dark figures and hard, hard illustrations to understand. At its core, at its heartbeat, it is a fitting book for the Advent, for the Christmas season, because it is a book of joy. This is a season knowingly marked as a season for joy. Maybe you've got decorations around your house that just say the word joy, right? Pajamas, maybe if you're a kid, my, my wife buys, likes to buy different pajamas for the kids and there's pajama set. Maybe it might say at different points in their life. We'll say they currently have them or if it's times in the past, you know, because they're getting, getting older. But at one point you had pajamas that just said joy, just the word joy. And you look around at Christmas decorations. It's a season meant for joy, a simple word thrown around uh, in de the decorating of this time of year. And we think of joy in places like the angel's announcement, right? The shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news of great 
joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day a child, the son of David. And there's this reality of joy coming at the, at the first appearing of Jesus. But that attitude does not change after the first advent. There is still a joy that is to exist for the second advent, this second coming of Jesus. Both appearings are worth rejoicing over. The event of his birth, his incarnation, and the event of his second coming, which we live in expectant longing for. Now, it might seem pretty obvious, but my big idea for this morning is this. The magnitude of the joy of the receiver, like the greatness of the joy, the magnitude of the joy, the largeness of the joy of the receiver is directly connected to the magnitude of the gift and the magnitude of the giver. The magnitude of the joy in the receiver is directly connected to the magnitude of the gift and the magnitude of the giver. And we, we instinctively, we know this, right? Children exemplify it well, and maybe some of you adults, some of us adults, exemplify this as well. You might remember back to the day when you were convinced that if you, a certain product, if you would get for Christmas Day, this is going to absolutely change your life. And you're convinced you would shake the present and you'd know this is, this is the one I've been hoping for and my life will never be the same. Right? I'm going to open this, uh, this rugby from uh, Maurice's or whatever, and my life is, I'm going to be so cool. My life is never going to be the same. Right? You had, no one else wanted a rugby? For, okay. Uh, I heard this from other people out there. Uh, or it possibly, like one year, um, we, my, we golf. I was raised on the golf course. Uh, never that good at it, but I was raised there. And um, I wanted a Ray Cook putter. Because one of my favorite golfers, Ray Cook now is, is, it's like all brands, used to be an elite, awesome brand, and now you can buy a Ray Cook putter at Walmart. Didn't used to be that way. They used to be a lot fancier. I really wanted a Ray Cook putter. And my mom had gone to the specialty golf shop in Des Moines by the airport. Um, Henley's? Kinley's, Kinley's, yes. Had bowling and golf stuff there. And so they had gone and they had special ordered me a putter. And I went down one day before Christmas to get the mail, and there was a postcard in there notifying my mother that the putter was in. <laughs> That's why I'm a mailman. <laughs> so I can figure out all the, all the secret. My wife actually is frustrated. She, can hardly, she can't really order much without me finding out because I bring the package home. Uh, <laughs> spread and joy. I loved it. Mom was devastated that I had found out my gift beforehand, but it did not ruin, I mean, it did not ruin it for me because I was getting this great putter that I was convinced was going to turn me into varsity top-level golfer. You know, that didn't turn out either, but I was, it didn't matter. I, my my, my uh, vision of the future may not have been the most accurate vision of the future, but, but the magnitude of the gift, this is the putter I was always wanting, it didn't matter that I knew beforehand, it was that this was coming. The magnitude of the gift is directly connected to the magnitude of the joy of the receiver. If you know what you're getting is great and amazing and glorious, then that has a direct bearing upon the joy of the one who's going to receive it. And also, the... the, the, the uh, who the giver of the gift is, the, the magnitude of who the giver is. You might remember um, times in elementary school or junior high or whatever, and you've maybe got your first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, or someone who you think's interested, and they get you a gift. 
and it's it's like it's a new kids on the block poster or something like that. Something you don't care at all about. Like you don't you don't want this, but it doesn't matter. It, or it's a box of chocolates, you know, like you get, and it's like this isn't a good gift anymore. I, you know, I've learned. You know, this takes it's more than that. <laughs> but but the fact of who you're getting the gift from, like that 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 adds a weightiness to the gift. We all know this as parents, right? We've raised kids, and no offense, kids, we do love your stuff, but like some of this stuff, it isn't going to bring a lot of money on the market, like your, your drawings or your you know, little claymation things, but, but because of who they come from, they carry great weight, and, there's, and that increases the joy of the receiver, right? So getting a gift, getting a special gift increases your joy, and getting a gift from someone special, it does increase your joy. And in the same way, though Advent is a season of waiting, it is a season of joy for both of those reasons. The magnitude of what we are looking forward to and the, the, the majesty of the one we're going to receive it from. Not only is it an incredible thing that is coming our way, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the restoration of all things, a new heavens and a new earth in which his people will dwell with him forever. It is also because it is this holy and righteous God who in his grace and his mercy has given to us not the justice that we deserve, but through faith in Christ has taken that justice upon himself in the person of Christ, that this one in all his holiness and beauty and perfections and righteousness desires to give this gift to his people, the gift of himself. And so Revelation is ultimately a book of joy in the receiver because of the greatness of the gift that is coming to us and the greatness of the one who is giving of the gift. So I started off the series by throwing in this incredible brief summary on the point of the book of Revelation. I said that four things here. Jesus, the big idea from coming from the book of Revelation, Jesus reigns. We see that in Revelation 4 and 5. Secondly, don't be surprised by suffering. The whole book is a book about the tribulation that John says you are part, we are, the, the church is partners with John in the tribulation. The tribulation is the whole period of the church age. There has never been a time the church existed that they haven't been at some level in the tribulation of this life. The tribulation is is past, it is present, it is yet future until Christ returns. It is the tribulation period that is going on. So Jesus reigns, don't though be surprised by suffering. Fight against the dragon. There is an enemy and John uses this, Jesus uses this pictorial apocalyptic language and that's why I've included it there. Not just fight against evil, but there is this, this wicked uh, personification of what wants to take Christians down, what wants to cause your life increased suffering, wants to lure you away from your king. So Jesus reigns, don't be surprised by suffering, fight against the dragon, and long for the king's return. There is a returning king. I know, and if you've been a Christian very long, this is not like some shocking news to you, but this is, this is why we return on a church calendar over and over again to certain themes, because this is a central hope in the life of all who cling to Jesus. He is coming again to establish his kingdom on earth. The birth of the baby that we celebrate on Christmas Day is not the final moment of the story. 
is not the final moment of the story. The incarnation is an absolutely incredible miracle. It was, at just the right time, the next step in God's narrative of what he is working out in the whole of history. It's the next step in the countless incredible ways that God has moved on the behalf of his people to rescue them. But it was not the final step. There is so much to see and worship God over in the righteous life of Jesus, right? The substitutionary death of Jesus, the glorious resurrection that we have a king returning who went into the grave for three days, really dead, and defeated it. And rose from that grave, walked out, took a walk to Emmaus for miles, when a resurrected, restored, renewed body. This king has defeated sin and death itself. And this king is returning. There is so much to worship God over. And what's incredible is that there is even more yet to come. This king is going to return and he will gather his people to himself so they might be with him where he is, with him, with God the Father, all with the whole Godhead, worshiping and enjoying him for all of eternity. So we've looked at three different instances in this, of the idea in the book of Revelation that this anticipation of a coming Jesus repeats this over, this, you see this in several places in the scripture, this word actually, it's kind of, it's in the Latin, Adventus, it's the same word we use for Advent, behold I am coming, we heard it in the Advent reading, Jesus says at the end of, of chapter of, of Revelation, you know, behold I am coming, um, coming soon, but we see this word here as well, when in, in verse 7 of our text this morning, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb has come. And there are so many things we could dig into in this passage. There is this picture of the purity of God's people. They have rejected Babylon and her ways. This, this hideous picture. It's, it's, it's interesting to read. It's hideous and, and alluring at the same time. It's the beast, which is ugly and awful. And, and, and it's a harlot uh, who has all sorts of impurity about her. But even John, like, there's a moment where John looks at her and he's like, this is an impressive, this is a very attractive, alluring world system that wants to draw you into itself. But to skip all of that, the church is, has not followed Babylon. The church is not uh, given into the world system. They have rejected the world system and its ways with all of its alluring behavior and all of its deceitful practices. And the, God's people are readied as a bride for her husband. A rejection of Babylon, pictured as a prostitute and a harlot who's made herself drunk with the blood of God's people. I mean, it's, it's just it's incredible language. But we see this world system... Uh, symbolized in Babylon, is defeated. You can flip a few places here, but you look at chapter 17, verse 14. They, they will make war, the, the prostitute, the harlot, Babylon. They're going to gather all the kings of the world together. They're going to make war on the Lamb. Verse 14, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. One of the interesting passages 
there's a, there's a supper we're talking about here. Some of the, right, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and there's this, this great meal that we are called into. And you go on down into the, the, uh, chapter 19, and you see this, in, this other meal that's going on. And it's a very dark, dark meal. There's uh, the angel standing, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast. This is a great Advent text, by the way. Uh, I can just feel the joy coming out of this. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse. This is, that's Jesus, where you see or the rider on the white horse. To make war on the rider of the horse, um, sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in his presence has done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from his mouth, came from the mouth of him who is sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I say it's a very, very stark picture. And what we see in this, this happening here is that the return of our king and, and ushering us into his glorious kingdom is going to come with it a full payment of the justice of his enemies. I almost say it's a, if you live in this world, you do. <laughs> you know what it is like to suffer injustice. You know what it's and, and you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to have things go wrong. You know what it's like to be persecuted at various levels, to have, to be disliked, to have to have things go wrong. You know what it's like to suffer from illnesses, maybe even serious diseases. You know what it's like to have the breakdown of family. You know what it's like to have all sorts of um, the people that you love that we have to watch die and say goodbye to. We know what suffering and what wrong and what pain and what hurt is. And this feast is, is one of the pictures that John is using to say that there is no one that in the final analysis, analysis escapes the judgment of God. All things will be made right. The, those who deserve justice will receive it which is a good thing in that there is no escape. There is no escape that, that your suffering is not unnoticed by your God. The, the trials, the troubles, the evil that is done to God's people, though they may suffer for a season, it is not unknown to him. It, it, there's, God keeps perfect books. And the, one of the reasons why we are so liberated as a Christian people to offer forgiveness, to, to, to extend mercy and grace is because we know that in the final analysis, our God will do exactly what is right. He leaves nothing undone as it should be done. There is no one at the final day that escapes God's justice. We, you know, you hear of court cases of... Um, or just convicted people who get off on a technicality and they can't have double jeopardy and so they get away with heinous crimes. There's no getting away with heinous crimes. 
there, there is a final reckoning that we see here. But uh, enough on that. So we, because that, that, I, that can be a great sense of, of, of resting in God and his ability to perform to perfection all of his righteous deeds. But what's the big idea in our passage this morning? Here it is. One of the clear points, if you take the, a big picture idea of this passage, it is this vast multitude that is gathered. And how do they feel about the coming of their king? How do they feel? If we were, um, if we were at a missional community group and we would say, let's make some observations. How many observations can you make about their attitude towards their God in this passage? And there are many, many uh, indicators, repetitions. This is a voice, it's a roar of, the, the sound is so loud, it is a roar of many waters. We're all familiar with this. It's the, 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 the rush of the crowd. You know, you, you hear it, you heard it yesterday when the Vikings came all the way back and, and beat uh, whoever they were playing, you know, that great comeback. That crowd, the roar of many waters is this, is this just absolute overwhelming roar of excitement. Hallelujah, they cry out. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. They are overwhelmed with rejoicing. It's a rejoicing so great that this interesting section, like an interlude here where John brings in his own reaction, John is so overwhelmed by their worship, their rejoicing and what's going on, that he, he falls down and worships the angel in front of him. He, well, he falls down and he has to get corrected. And he's, he's caught up in all this exaltation. What, what is coming is so beautiful and wonderful and majestic that he's caught up into it and has to get corrected. He's caught up in the gravity moment of the moment. There is something truly incredible going on here. It is the final marriage, the final grand celebration, the marriage of the Lamb. Why? Are they rejoicing so greatly? Two things mentioned. They go hand in hand. Why are they rejoicing so greatly? Because the Lamb has come. They're rejoicing greatly because the marriage of the Lamb has come. And secondly, because the bride is ready. It's perfect. The, the Lamb has come and the bride is ready. If the king doesn't come, that's, there's not the rejoicing. But the king has come. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world for his people, he's there. If the king doesn't come, there's no rejoicing. Because he's there, they rejoice. But also, if they're not ready for him, <laughs> there's no rejoicing. That's the marriage, that's the supper on down below. <laughs> the ones that weren't ready for him, there's no rejoicing going on there. But the lamb has come and the bride is ready. Right? We see it right there in the text. The marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We look at the text and we see two things. We see that the bride has made herself ready. And we see that it was granted her to clothe herself. So which is it? Has the bride made herself ready or has she been granted something to wear and made herself ready? Well, it's both. It's both. He's, the bride has been granted. The, the picture is this, is of a bride who has made herself ready. She's gotten dressed and adorned herself with preparation for this great event. But why has she done this? Why has she made herself ready? She has been given a beautiful garment to wear. Why would she not put it on? <laughs> 
if the bride has been given, here's the, 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 the king is coming, the bridegroom is coming, here's a gorgeous gown to wear, the bride is going to put that on and get ready. So the bride has made herself ready because she has been given something beautiful to wear. There's no way, having once received this apparel, that the bride is not going to put it on. So in some way, the question of, is, are you ready? That there's this expectation, this longing that we are to be in. Are we ready? But that, that question of, are you ready, comes down to a deeper question, which is this. Have you truly seen the beautiful garment Christ offers for you to wear? Christ has given his people to wear. Do you see the beauty of what Christ has given his bride? Upon seeing that, we call it effectual calling, irresistible grace. But upon the seeing the beauty of that garment, there's no one that wouldn't put it on. Have you seen it? Do you have your eyes opened to the beautiful gown, garment, fine, what linen, bright and pure that Christ has provided for his people? There is a garment of white, fine linen, a garment of good works, not performed by you, but performed by another that then upon wearing it does provoke in you the good works as well. We'll get into that. That's a different time, different, different sermon. But Christ has purchased this clothing for you by his very own life and death. This garment, if you can hear my voice this morning, if you're still awake, this garment can be yours. This garment can be yours. Will you... Like the bride in this passage, will we despise the filthy rags of this world system, the immorality that clothes us with garments of death and destruction? Will we repent from loving those rags and turn in faith to the Savior who will clothe you with his very own righteousness? There is no other way to prepare for this great coming day. But having been made ready by trusting in Christ, all the necessary preparations have been put in order and will be walked out. The scriptures plead with us this morning. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The scriptures plead with us this morning. Make yourselves ready for his appearing by gazing upon the beauty of what he offers his people, clothing them, washing them in his very own blood, making them his own, forgiving them of their sins and transgressions, so that at this great final day, they would not be found wanting, but found dressed in fine white linens, ready for their Savior, for their King, for their Master to return. There is no other way to prepare for this great coming day, but having been made ready by trusting in Christ, the Scriptures plead with us, make yourselves ready, trust Him, Fight the dragon and his destructive ways and long for the final reunion of God and his people. Lastly, what all of this knowledge of rejoicing does is, and is meant to do, it is to empower us as we wait for the fulfillment of it. As I started out saying, like the kid with a known present under the tree, though the full realization isn't here yet, there is an overflow of that future joy into the present here and now. One, this, this is what is coming. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Just like Logan said, right? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. 
that there's a there's a there's a so such a great future joy that it spills over into our present here and now. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is active in the people of God, helping them to see this future joy that they may have the encouragement and strengthening they need to persevere in this life. You know, it's how Paul sees this coming, right? The famous passage there in 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about that those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those who are left alive on the earth will join them in the air and forever they will be with the Lord. And how does he end that little section? He does it twice. He does it again in chapter 5. How does he end that? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. He then knows that there can be a future joy so great that it spills over into this expectant waiting. May the promise of that future joy fill our presence, our present, encouraging us, strengthening us, emboldening us, and provoking us and all in us all the worship that is due to our great God and Savior as we wait for him. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would give eyes in this place this morning. And I don't, rather we could count many years as following you or are yet this morning not sure if we are saving and trusting in you. From all across the spectrum, Father, give us fresh eyes to see the beauty of what Christ offers his people. That we in our sinfulness deserve God, your justice and your wrath. We belong at the supper of wrath. But by your grace and your mercy, you sent your son to rescue your people from their sins. That at that great final day, we might find ourselves not under your wrath, but rejoicing, exulting, worshiping you because we have been made ready by being given, it's been granted to us fine white linen garments to wear that we might enter into this great marriage feast. God, this Advent season, I pray you would plant, as we look forward to Christmas, as we think about the incarnation, God, may, may it set our sights even higher, longing for that great day when you will make all things new. You'll restore all things. Justice will be served. And our joy in you will never end. May we find ourselves waiting in God until then, increase in our hearts a joyous, expectant longing, saying with John Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.